1: All right, guys. So, well, welcome back to the Equip You and Grace podcast. My name is Dave and I'm the host for this show. And today I have my brother Doug with me. Doug, welcome to Equip You and Grace, brother.
0: Hey, Dave. Great to be with you today.
1: Great to be with you. Can you tell us a little bit about your life, marriage, ministry, and any ministry
0: projects you're working on? Sure. In less than 40 minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm happy to. Um, I'm married to... Uh, Beautiful and industrious, Emily. Emily means industrious, so it's it is a good a good name for her. Um, We've been married 23 years this summer. Uh, We have five children: uh, Sean, Lily, Evelyn, Simeon, uh, and Charlotte. I get them all. (laughs) 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 They're all teenagers or older now. Yeah, ministry-wise, I've served as a pastor in the U.S. for about 20 years. Um, I was a professor overseas uh, in Australia for three years. uh, And then I currently serve at Crossway as the the senior vice president of uh, Bible editorial. Um, I also serve here as a chaplain. Uh, So we have a chapel once a week. and I I lead that. I preach once a month, but I also do some interviews with authors or invite other people to come in and speak. Uh, We also have like a Crossway chapel where uh, people who work here um, do little devotionals and things like that um actually just today for chapel um lee Riken and i were uh, interviewed by matt tully who does our podcast so so i oversee as chaplain Uh, i also do something pretty cool that i just started was uh, a preaching group within crossway so there are a number of employees here who um, are very active in local ministry some of them are pastors um, a number of them are elders um, and so they teach regularly. Um, Some of them preach once a year, uh, every three years, every three three months, something like that. (laughs) Some maybe every three years. Um, So we do a preaching group once a month where we have, um, you know, what are you working on? Um, They might, someone might've preached. We listen to it. We give, we give some feedback. We've also had um, some guest uh, speakers come in and we just pick their brains. So Robert Smith from, Beeson Divinity School was just here a couple of weeks ago. Phil Ryken who's just down the road, was here uh, as well. Um, and then ministry projects. Um, I do a lot of writing projects. That's sort of half my job, uh, either personal writing projects or projects for uh, Crossway. So I'm writing Bible studies, a few commentaries, Bible commentaries, and then um, a number of resources for family. And children. I also preach uh, once a month at New Covenant Church in Naperville, Illinois, which is a church I planted years ago. And my friend Chris Pastaldo now is the senior pastor there.
1: Oh, that's awesome! That's awesome, brother. I I probably preach New Public Supply once every three months, and so uh, I'm that guy sometimes, and sometimes yeah.
0: more. We'll see. You know, but it's just sometimes you don't you don't get the support you know you sort of need or or feedback or or help. Yeah, yeah. Kind of what sure. this group
1: is so. that's great that's wonderful well you have this book new book out coming out here it'll be out when this releases but with doctor uh your your uh, dear friend uh and brother uh dr Riken. leland Riken, uh can you tell us about it The beauty and power a biblical exposition why you wrote it and how you hope it'll be received
0: yeah sure um so leland Reichen, who lee goes by lee um lee and me uh, Put together a book, but Lee was my professor at Wheaton College um, thirty years ago, um, and then we've been a part of the same church for many years. Not we're not the same church now; we're in different cities. But um, all that to say, we've known each other for a while. And actually, my my wife moved to Wheaton area in middle middle school age, and um, Nancy Reich, and Lee's uh, daughter, youngest daughter and my wife family have known each other for years. So a lot of family connections, personal connections. Uh, so Lee, Lee saw the need for a book on this topic because he felt, and as we talked, I agreed, uh, that so many pastors were neglecting, not so much in their study, but certainly in their sermons, uh, this aspect of literary artistry and genres of the Bible. So he approached me and asked, <clears throat> Uh, if I would take what he has written, he already wrote like with the idea of like uh, having a book on this. Um, he wrote some new material on the topic and wanted the book, though, not to come from him. He's not a preacher. He's uh, a literary scholar, literature scholar, um, doesn't preach much, you know, teaches Sunday school, that sort of thing. But he wanted to come from a preacher to preachers. And so he asked me to to team up with him. And I was I was very honored to do to do so. Uh, so what I did was I took his new writings and then I read, I didn't have to do this, but I, I got very excited about it. So I started reading through his other books or skimming them, but he's written quite a bit, like in over 50 books and then tons of articles and things like that. So I read through maybe as much Lee Reichen as possible. And then I blended his thoughts on the topic, the new material he'd written, and then some of the best of the best. With my own ideas and my experiences, is and and he gave me the freedom to to write the book in my own voice so we decided it's going to be one voice it'll be the preacher's voice so it'll be my voice and i'll blend some of the things he said and just put it in my own my own way of writing so the result is yeah the beauty and power of beautiful uh, biblical exposition and beautiful exposition uh preaching the literary artistry and genres of the bible uh, so I guess that answers your question, why, and a bit, a bit of how it was written, mm-hmm. which you didn't ask. So that's a bonus feature for this podcast.
1: Yeah, bonus, bonus time. Always good, always good.
0: To <laughs> so the answer the, the second part of your question, and if I remember, how how do we hope it will be received? Uh, well, Lee wants a million copies sold in the first week. Uh, so I'll settle for 500,000 in a lifetime. <laughs> 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 okay, just kidding. Yeah. Um, I've written a lot of books on the wisdom literature, which doesn't sell very well, by the way. Um, but preaching will sell better. So we're not we're not kidding about. And I think I think Lee would agree with this. Is uh, this is a book like for every pastor, and there are lots of pastors <laughs> in the in the English speaking world. Um, and so this is this is a book for you. I, I love um, you. Don't have a copy of it yet, but we'll get you one. So the book has just come just come into Crossway here, beautifully designed by Jordan. Um, And I love one of the blurbs by my friend, David Gibson, who's a pastor in Aberdeen, Scotland. Um, I'll go ahead and read it all because I think it's really flattering. But also to my to my point, um, like, what do we hope this becomes and who buys it? Uh, David says this book, this book is a sumptuous feast for preachers, which, if savored and digested, will prepare a banquet of life for those who listen to it. It is a delight to read from beginning to end formed by a deep love of the Bible. And for God who gave it O'Donnell and Reich have given us a wonderful gift. And this is the part I really want to emphasize, <clears throat> whether you are a novice preacher, so you're new at preaching, who wishes to have your mistakes corrected gently, but wisely, or another category, a tired preacher, um, <clears throat> Let me find my spot here. Uh, who has lost the romance of the art form? A burdened preacher, the third category, uh, who is taking shortcuts because of the demands of ministry—that's a lot of us now. Or an experienced uh, preacher, for whom well-worn homiletical paths have become second nature. There is something in here to edify you richly so this this book we hope will be used uh, in preaching courses and seminaries I've had a number of uh, uh, professors of homiletics say hey I'm going to use this I, lo- I love this who got sort of advanced copies uh, to, to help to form the next generation of, of preachers uh, but but we also hope so there's that, that category but we also hope those who are now pastors, those who are novices and those who are super experienced um, will take and read, and learn or relearn um, and enjoy. And I I think relearning is so important. Um, One of the things, I think it was Kent Hughes, my mentor who, and to whom the book is dedicated, um, would use this analogy and the Simeon Trust uses this analogy in in a lot of their workshops. But um, as pastors, we we need, just like professional basketball, baseball players, need spring training, uh, where they just go back to the basics and they just, You know, they do the same thing every year at the beginning of the season. And you think, why would you need to do that? You're a professional. Um, And a good professional knows they got to go back to the basics. And so even if you're really experienced and you say, oh, I I know all that stuff about the different genres and this and that, I I think this book will encourage you to keep doing that, but maybe give you some new uh, tricks of the trade that you haven't haven't thought about.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah, touch on that a little bit, you know, for the new or even the, the seasoned pastor, they they might know about what the different literary genres are. But, you know, how can it help them with their sermon preparation? And then how can it help them with their overall, you know, preaching to God's word? You know, we would say both you and I would say expository sermons are the way to go. But, um, you know, yeah, how can that and then how can that help the average person that they're preaching to in the pew to be able to do as 2 Timothy 2.15 tells to rightly handle the word of God?
0: Yeah, good questions. Um, I think, uh, I love what Paul says to to young Timothy, who's just sort of starting his ministry, that, that people would see his his progress. Um, that, that's a word I, I constantly sort of feed into my head, um, Dave, is that progress, not perfection is the preacher's goal. Uh, progress, not perfection, is the preacher's goal. So, I think my prayer, or Lee and I, our prayer for pastors is that people in their congregation, um, after the pastor, of course, has bought and read the book, um, would notice, you know, a change. Would notice progress. Notice that in the next few months, or in the years to come, that their that their pastor's sermons, you know, on the Psalms, sound different than their sermons on. Philippians or their sermons on Philippians don't share the same style, uh, shape, mode, tone as their their sermons on on Proverbs. So, I think to me, just this idea of progress, getting better and better as I age and get, and getting critique and encouragement from people. I hope people see their pastor, you know, learning. I, I more than ever in my oldish age. I'm 50, but I'm I'm. I'm reading more about preaching. I'm learning more about preaching, even though I've preached so many sermons in my life. Um, And it it is this idea of like progress that keeps me going. How can I get better at my craft? And what's so wonderful about preaching, as long as your health is good, mental and physical health is good, you can get better and better as the years go by. It's not like athletics, you know, I used to be a basketball player. I can't jump anymore, (laughs) but as a preacher, I can grow. Uh, and I can't shoot three pointers too, which is kind of sad. But um, that is sad. It's very sad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's because I don't. Can, I don't he, can he drive to the hole though? I mean, you know, I, I can do some fancy dribbling things still, that, that, that impress my kids. But that <laughs> <it> probably <laughs> wouldn't work in a game, though. Yeah. Uh, but, but that, keep going. That's, keep going. <laughs> yeah. So I think, um, but just this idea that, like, when you see your pastor learning and growing. And you're like, wow, I remember him preaching on, you know, Psalm 110 years ago. And it it wasn't it was so different than what he's doing now, because I feel like he's he's grown a lot. He understands how poetry works. And that that really shows in the way that he put together the sermon and the way he he preached the sermon. And I I guess for like the average Christian too, like, how does a literary approach to reading the Bible, which we're all about here, Lee and I, um, how does it help the average Joe in the pew? I think, and this is from experience, like as someone, you know, as a college student who was learning this and then sitting under preaching, that was uh, preachers who were doing this. um, It made me, and I think it could make anybody like more observant. I haven't talked about preach in preaching, like the art of observation is so important. But so for like reading the Bible just by yourself or in a a Bible study. um, I think if you if you understand the literary things that are going on, You'll, you'll sort of stop and you'll notice and appreciate uh, details that you you generally overlooked or underappreciated in the past. I think often we we read the Bible existentially like, OK, God's going to speak to me. And I'm just looking for some truth claim that relates to my current experience, no matter where I am in the Bible. And so we dismiss historical context, but we also dismiss the, the literary things that are going on. Um, Literature genre, uh, the artistry, and and so we we miss we we underappreciate and we're less observant about things because we're just sort of picking and choosing, looking for a truth, for uh, applicable truth. So one, I think it makes it more observant. Second, I think it uh, it makes the Bible more interesting, at least to me, because the Bible is not just a bunch of, of truths that you you find. Um, but it's it's truth communicated in a very interesting way. Um, I mentioned that Lee and I did an interview with Chapel, and I didn't have a chance to say this, but while he was talking about this kind of point, I remember thinking back of when I was I was young, probably in my 20s, and I was just reading everything. And I, I read the Quran um, beginning to end. And I thought, this is so different than the Bible um, because it it isn't stories, it isn't... Um, you know, it it isn't poetry. There's no more than what God in his uh, kindness and and creativity has given us in the Bible. Um, And so I just think finding those truths and discovering that they're communicated in an interesting way. So for example, I think like when you understand how parallelism works in Hebrew poems, which translated in English, really don't lose anything. Um, And C.S. Lewis pointed this out in one of his writings, I forget which one, but sort of the beauty of of Hebrew poetry, and the same would be true for Greek, but uh, you don't lose the structural things that that are part of Hebrew poetry in English or in any language. Um, And once you understand how that works, how parallelism works, you have a new appreciation for all the poetry that's in the Bible and how to read it. Um, So you both appreciate what God is saying, but also how he's decided to say it.
1: Mm. So we need to understand what the author meant uh, taking the authorial intent of the intended passage in the book, and then that'll help us to draw out the the intended goal and the meaning of of the author in a better way. Is that is that kind of more? Or less yeah, what you're and I think
0: to... what he's like. Let's say when David uh, sits down to pen uh, one of the Psalms, he's got typical Hebrew poetic notions in mind, and once we understand how some of those things work and they actually are simpler than like uh, Shakespeare's sonnets or some of the other literature we would have learned in high school English literature. So they're not, they're not very complex, even a chiasm, which is, you know, the structure kind of points to the point in the middle. Um, once you understand how it works, oh, there's repetition, repetition, repetition. So you get to the point. It's not that hard of a concept. And then when you see a chiasm or your pastor points it out, it, it's very interesting. Oh, the God decided to, to do, the poem about the Proverbs 31 woman, the excellent wife is a chiasm and also it's an acrostic. That is a, an alphabet poem. Um, so I think, I think, yeah, the author's intention for sure, like in the historical context in which he's writing, but also what, what was he sort of educated in? And what does he expect the author to either know or, or learn? Mm, I think that's really, really good. The author, the
1: yeah, and I think that's really, really important because, like, Revelation is totally different than just to use your example, the Psalms. I mean, totally, yes. totally different. Uh, the Gospels totally different than the Psalms. The Genesis totally different. And so, if your sermon is the same as, you know, say you're preaching Psalms, you know, Book One, Psalm One through Forty One, or, or you're preaching, you've preached through Genesis, or you preach through Matthew, which I know you wrote a commentary on. You know, and your sermon is the same, like you're saying, then you might may, may, let's say may being generous, have missed the point of what the author intended, you know, and we need to, you need to go back and, you know, understanding that purpose is so important because I think those are the most interesting things, you know, like when people are listening to a sermon, you know, they want to hear the. They want to hear the explanation, but they also want to hear, you know, something of the background, you know, and that's where people, especially if you've been in the church a long time, that's what, you know, they're, they're going to really latch on. They're going to be like, you know, they're going to go away and they're going to be like, hey, I, I heard what my pastor said about that. And that brought out a new, uh, not a new meaning, because it is the meaning, but new to me meaning, we'll say. And, uh, you know, I, I hear that in my writing and yeah. when I'm speaking or whatever, that's what people appreciate and. You know, I'm like, hey, so I need to keep doing that, um, and then you know, yep. using those relevant, obviously, illustrations and so on and so forth as well. But Well, brother, I, we've been talking a lot about on this podcast lately about you know the doctrine of Scripture, and I think it's fair to say that we the doc the doctrine of Scripture as a whole is under attack today. Uh, but I but we're not talking about how it's under attack specifically here today, but how How should a good understanding of the doctrine of scripture affect uh, our uh, you know our ministry of the Word, whether that's we're a pastor or we're just the average layperson?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I'm just looking up. i've got I've got the book on PDF, which is an easy sort of search here. Um, I'm looking for Brian Chapel's definition, uh, yeah of expository preaching. So let me read this. Um, and I'll get some thoughts. So, Brian Chapel. I think this is in Christ Center preaching. Uh, so here, here's Brian Chapel's definition: the main idea of an expository sermon, the topic, the divisions of that idea, the main points, and the development of those divisions. The subpoints all come from truths the text itself contains. No significant portion of the text is ignored. In other words, expositors willingly stay within the boundaries of a text and in its relevant context. And do not leave until they have surveyed its entirety with their listeners. Now, I use that quote in the chapter on preaching narrative, which is the first chapter, and I make make it under the point, the subheading of "Don't skip the setting." Uh, so I illustrate how important this setting is to properly preaching, setting up the whole story. Um, and let me just read a little bit of what I write there. I, I love quoting myself uh, in preaching. In your preaching of biblical narratives, it can be said that no significant portion, can it be said that no significant portion of the text is ignored? So from Chapel's definition, would your congregation say that you do not finish the sermon unless it has been, quote, surveyed in all its entirety, including the setting? Uh, However, seemingly mundane, such as end the next day, uh, a commitment to expository preaching sees the setting of each story as significant. Now, recently I preached on uh the narrative of Zacchaeus's uh conversion. And if I remember correctly, there's so much meat in the setting. Jesus comes into Jericho, that's pretty important historically, um salvation history-wise. Um and he he encounters him and he's just passing through, <laughs> which is an interesting phrase, um, passing through to Jerusalem, to the cross. Uh, and then he meets a man named Zacchaeus. Uh, rarely is a character named so that's important. Um, who's the chief tax collector, that's very important. And he's rich, subsequently he's rich. So all of those details in that little setting are gonna just play play out in the story uh, as it follows. And so that's a very significant setting, but the point is that every, every setting, every sort of part of what you're looking at is significant and should be explored. Now the setting may just take one minute to explain, um, but it should be explained, so that's the that's the setting. But there's lots of other things. But Chapel's definition, I think, covers also other aspects of, of the book we wrote. Um, for example, um, do you believe that the form of Psalm 23, which is a poem, is part of God's inspiration? Uh, if you do, well, then you're going to preach that poem like a poem, and you're not going to quickly sift through all of the images and metaphors. Like, let's get through all these images and metaphors and just pull out the ideas. That's, that's not how God, God could have easily said here are the three main points. You know, with three, um, he does that in Paul from here from time to time. He does that in the epistles more than anywhere else, but he doesn't do that in a lot of, you know, all of the poetry in, in the Bible um, and other things, uh, apocalyptic literature, narratives. So all that to say, uh, to your question: high view of Scripture has a has a high view or high respect for how God, in His infinite wisdom and beauty and and power, <laughs> decided to write a book, a, a bi- the Bible, that is filled with all these genres, with poems and proverbs and stories and and visions and so on.
1: Yeah, that's that's really that's really good. Um... Because it shows a it shows a reverence for the Bible, you know, I think and how we approach the Bible reveals what we'll do with the Bible. And so I think I think what you said is really I think it's really, really helpful. Well, brother, uh, where can people go to find out more about you on social media or otherwise?
0: Yeah. Um it's kinda of, kinda of funny answering that question because um up until You're not like, a, you're not <laughs> on social media. <laughs> no, no. Well, yeah, for the most part, up until late, I've been a Luddite. You know what a Luddite is? Like someone who kind of is anti-technology. I'm not anti-technology, but I'm talking to you through Zoom. But, um, but I've, I've always thought a lot of those things are a waste of time, or at least a waste of my time. <laughs> but I realize there are, there are good advantages to uh, these social media platforms. So I do have a Facebook page as of last year. Um, and I do post stuff about my books, mostly that's why I I did it, but some funny things about my family as well. Uh, I have a YouTube channel that has um, some sermons on it, and then Crossway, uh, thank you Jordan E., uh, created a personal web page for me, so this is really the one source you can kind of go to for for everything, Uh, if I look, links to books and articles and sermons, and that's douglas-odonnell.com, all lowercase, no apostrophe, the apostrophe causes trouble in the computer world, so it's uh just Douglas. Wonderful. Well brother some d- glamour shop.
1: Yeah, well. <laughs> yeah, I mean you gotta you gotta go with that, right? You gotta you gotta have some of those. Well, brother, as I always say as we wrap up enough. Right, right. Well, brother, as we as we wrap up, uh, you know, there's a lot that we could say about this topic and you know, I'm sure we could talk for hours about it, but just as we wrap up, do you have a few takeaways for our those who listen and watch this podcast,
0: yeah, I guess what's in my mind afresh since you asked the question, you know, is just like if if you have a high view of the Bible, then you know, pre, please read God's Word uh, the way God intended it, you to read it. Um, so, what does that mean? We'll learn learn the literary genres and the structures and images, the artistry. Uh, one of the goals for Lee and I in writing this book was was this: we we desired uh, to inform and to inspire pastors to understand, um, and this is paraphrasing Lee, like attentiveness to literary dimensions of the Bible um, need to be foregrounded in an expository sermon. So a literary analysis of the Bible isn't something, you know, well, maybe I'll do that, but it's, it's invaluable to faithful preaching. Uh, and then the second thing I'll say is I very much wanted this book to be an encouragement to pastors. And so this is a, you can do it. (laughs) Um, Cheerleader, Doug, you know, you can do it. Um, So learning uh, what we teach in the book is not that hard. More than half of it is a how-to book. Um, So yeah, we're both PhDs and all this, but it's really a practical book with lots of tips to help improve your reading and your preaching of God's word. And we hope this gives you appreciation uh, awareness and appreciation for the artistry of God's inspired word, and not just that, but it, it offers you an arsenal of of analytic tools that you can explore and, and expose the entire uh, canon. You know, Lee uses an illustration of a, a an old chaplain who used to do a lot of hospital visits, and he would always read the Psalms to patients. But he admitted to Lee he had, he had no idea how to preach a Psalm. Um, you know, they were fine for reading, you know, bedside, but I think someone who who learns, like, for example, our poetry, reads through our poetry chapter will will be inspired and encouraged that, yeah, I, I can do this. I've got the tools. I've got this arsenal of analytic tools uh, that can help me uh, exposit faithfully, you know, the entire canon, even those tricky parts or proverbs and parables and, and visionary literature. So you can do it. That's that's the second thing. I want to say, in the end.
1: <laughs> well, brother, thank you so much for your time and for this excellent book. I did read it in the PDF format, and it was very helpful. So thank you for your work. It's very, it's a very needed book, and uh, I'm a big fan. So thank you for writing that, and please thank Dr. Riken for me. Uh, guys, the, the book is uh, The Beauty and Power of Biblical Exposition – by Dr. Leland Ryken and Doug O'Donnell. Thank you so much, Doug, for your time today and for the great work that you guys have done in this book.
0: Thank you for reaching out, and thanks for this interview. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to the Equipping You and Grace podcast.